Welcome to Energy Renewed, a podcast by ICF, a meeting of the minds in renewable energy where people come together to discuss ideas and synergies to propel the industry forward. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this ICF podcast. I'm Matt Robeson, your host, and today we're going to be talking about a major event that may have gone a little bit under the radar for all of us who monitor the energy and especially the electricity sector. Back in 2021, New York regulators started a big transformation in energy data access, creating a centralized state data platform along with security and privacy frameworks and some significant utility requirements for how all of this would get implemented. The state's investor-owned utilities had to quickly respond to a raft of new regulatory filings and plans in a matter of just a few months, as well as set up new project teams to figure all of this out and to work with stakeholders and to begin implementation. In this discussion, which again, is going to be available by both video and podcast. We'll hear from Con Edison's Director of Statewide Data Integration, Damian Ciano, and ICF's lead consultant supporting all of this work on behalf of the utilities, Patricia DaCosta, about their experience responding to the New York data access vision. And most importantly, the lessons that utilities, regulators, and other stakeholders can draw around the country. Patricia, Damian, looking forward to the conversation. Same here, Matt. Thank you, Matt. So let's dive in with kind of a, a high level 30,000 foot question. Why does all this matter? I mean, first of all, why is there such a big push to figure out how to leverage this data that are, that are created in, in the work of utilities for the use of both utilities and third parties? And why should people around the country outside of New York pay attention to this and, and care about all of this work that's been going on in New York for the last year? Patricia, do you want to start off? I think the promise of getting value from big data through analytics and artificial intelligence has been materialized in some other industries. So there's the same desire to unlock such potential in the energy sector. So regulators and stakeholders are interested in data access to start come up with new business models, identify new ways to sell products and services in the energy sector. And this started back when utilities began implementing AMI. Part of the value that was attributed to this AMI implementation was the promise of 10 variant rates as a means to optimize the energy use. So balance supply and demand through behavior or new technology adoptions. And today I think it's more about our distributed energy resources and smart technologies that are coming into our homes, into our buildings, and the promise that data access and data sharing seems more important than ever to identify these opportunities and also ambitious decarbonization and clean energy goals at the state level and the utility level will require a closer look into energy usage patterns. So the New York approach to data access has some interesting lessons in terms of the different initiatives that the commission and stakeholders have pushed over the years and where we are today. So the New York commission decided to go ahead and implement this comprehensive statewide platform to host all energy related data and facilitate access in a centralized manner at no cost to the users. And as they continue to explore and implement different use cases, the findings may inform other states that are looking to improve data access, regardless if these data access mechanisms come from the utility, from a state, or a third party. So it sounds like you're you're speaking to new market 
options, new services that utilities or other stakeholders could provide, and really accelerating and enabling state energy goals, policy goals, especially around decarbonization. Damien, what do you think in terms of that kind of 30,000 foot question about why all this matters, especially from that utility perspective? I appreciate everything that Patricia said, and I think she laid it out really well. For somebody like me that's working on planning the system and taking these into account, and I think even for the developers that are trying to sell this and the customers that are doing it, it does get maybe a little bit more granular. So maybe I'll go down to the 10,000 foot level. For me, the first thing is you can't make improvements on something if you can't measure it, right? So you just got to know what you got. So even somebody that's just trying to step up and just make their energy usage a little bit more efficient, they have to understand what they use, how they use it. They'll put a change in and then they want to see how that change was it 5%, was it 10%, was it what they affected? So I think, I think that's really important to do. And then when you start adding on all these exciting new technologies like solar and storage and electric vehicles and heat pumps, it just becomes critical to quantify and measure and, and, and go from there. So our AMI rollout kind of provided customers with the tools to do that. And we think it's just a great foundation. So again, the first one, just measuring it. The second one is, I guess, and it's, I guess it's a, another variation of the measurement, right? But the, the New York state goals, aside from being aspirational, are very specific. 70%. And they're pretty aggressive too, and right? They're, they're super aggressive and they, we've got an imperative to do them. So we need to measure them. So we're not just looking at trying to reduce customer usage, which helps us, but also the generation that's doing it, the buildings and what their carbon footprint is, et cetera, and so on. So again, 70% by 2030, 100% electric, electric produced by renewables by 2040, and then 85% decarbonization. So you got to measure. So that's another reason the data is so important. So it's helping you figure out how to make improvements and it's helping you verify you got it. And then thirdly, just to get everybody on board, you're providing tools for people you may not even be thinking about want to do this. I mentioned the customers and the DER providers, right? But there's universities that want to look into this and they want to push the batteries to the next level and figure out what kind of operational performances they need. There's municipalities that want to say, we've improved our carbon footprint and they need this information. You know, there's energy storage aggregators that are not going to just speak for one customer, but that put together a whole portfolio of people that are going to be bidding into the market. So again, it's just data on steroids. Data on steroids. I love that. That's going to become the tagline <laughs> for this entire show. Yeah. Actually, Damon, I want to go right back to you because full disclosure, just to put Patricia on blast for a second, Patricia, you wrote a really outstanding article. It was an ICF blog post about everything that's been going on. So for people who want to consume all this information in written form, check that out. I want to pick out a specific quote and, and run it by you, Damien. Patricia wrote, Energy data access for customers and third parties is seen as a particularly critical element to enable operational efficiency, market innovation, and competition. The New York Public Service Commission, New York PSC, has been delivering this message since the beginning of the Reforming the Energy Vision, REV. All right, yep. so full disclosure to all of our viewers and listeners, Damien, you and I go back a long way. We've been working yes. on yeah. REV, which is a regulatory initiative that many interested spectators around the country have been following for eight years now. And we've been working on it for a long time. And we've specifically been working on information sharing. This is something the utilities have been attuned to for a long time and has been yeah. part of the, the REV picture since the inception. So maybe you can just tell everyone, what did information sharing look like? before yeah. those two big orders came in in 2021. And what were the utilities specifically doing? Sure, I almost feel like I gotta take a step back. I mean, Rev was focusing on the market 
and the customers and getting this small scale distributed energy resource on the grid, right? We kind of added to that the CLCPA, the Community Leadership Climate Protection Act, which looks at adding windmills and, and this large scale renewables. So it's it's conceivable you could completely source green energy and never have to worry about the customer side, right? But we know that that's only part of it, right? So those large scale offshore, offshore winds are being taken care of in another venue, right? But getting the customers, that other piece of it where the customers get more efficient, where the customers choose to install batteries or solar panels or things that make their life better and get us that extra bit that we're gonna need, we're gonna need all of that for the portfolio. That's where the customer data comes in. It's especially important there, kind of where the rubber meets the road and the electricity gets to the customer, right? So we, the utilities felt like we were doing a really good job with this all along, or at least the, working with the ESCOs. Some of our larger customers already have these electronic data interchanges where they got pretty granular 15 minute interval data and they could make decisions for themselves. And, and that led us to put in our MI business case and look to expand this to all of our customers. So we felt like we were doing a good job with that. And Rev, as you were pointing, pointing out, I mean, it didn't call it data, but it called it the distributed system platform. Right. And it was all these data use cases, which you can hear us use those words a lot. Right. So now we got the AMI as the foundation for that. And we start building these use cases. One of the use cases was Green Button Connect, where the customer can get their AMI data and, and share it with a third party. That's part of the DSP. The hosting capacity maps where a solar provider can look at a map and say, oh, my gosh, it's going to be easy for me to interconnect this customer and hard to interconnect this one. Let's focus here. Now there's energy storage, hosting capacity maps, and electric vehicles. So all of these like tidbits of information are, are, are helpful and are, are making things kind of priming the pump and starting it out. And then the vision was, you know, that this would just keep going until finally one day there'd be a customer on Second Avenue and Third Street that was going to sell their excess solar power to a customer on whatever first street and fourth avenue so that's the vision and i think that's i think that's still the vision but you can see where the data needs just get huge right mm. from a from a hosting capacity map that's thousands and thousands of pieces of data that maybe have to be updated on a monthly data level to 3.3 million customers getting 15 minute or, or in the case of commercial customers five minute data and just having to make decisions on that or being part of some aggregation system so yeah, right. What so, you're generating and sharing these days is significantly more than it was even a few years ago. It is. Again, we felt like we were taking the right steps with the distributed system platform. But again, the, the integrated energy data resource order, that's what we're fundamentally talking about here, just, just puts that on steroids. It just pedal to the metal. Yeah, Patricia, anything to add on to that? Yeah, I was going to add, because your question was, how did data sharing look before these two 2021 regulatory orders? And as Damien was explaining, like the joint utilities have been working together and separately in different data access mechanisms to provide directly customers or third parties that are authorized by customers or even public platforms like the system data maps and the hosting capacity maps, just, just sharing relevant relevant data information, energy data information for these different stakeholders, depending on their needs. And, you know, that has been a very interactive process. Stakeholders have been involved with this, would had meetings, interviews with them and define the use cases and really understand what is the need and even explain to them, okay, this is a solution that we have, to, like, does that make sense to you from the utilities perspective, talking to these stakeholders? 
stakeholders and they would give feedback. And I'm sure like I know the hosting capacity maps have evolved throughout the years. There has been several versions. In fact, there has been sort of low capacity maps that span from the hosting capacity maps. You see the utilities continue to deliver different ways to share data with the third parties. And another example is the NYSERDA Utility Energy Registry, the UER, which offers utility aggregated zip code and county level data publicly. So generally it's for municipalities or cities looking to track their energy usage, but other stakeholders could other have access to this information if they want to. There's the SIR inventory, which utilities are publishing monthly also publicly and has DER install information. There's also each customer has their right and can access their own data by logging into their account. And of course, the granularity of the data they have access to depends if the utility has implemented smart meters, AMI or not. So if they have, they can access 15 minute interval data. If they haven't, it's going to be on a monthly basis. And I think what Damien was saying now is how do you integrate all those different data share mechanisms across all the utilities and make getting a centralized data platform, but in a way that it's not messy, that is consistent with the quality and expectations of the stakeholders that we're already accessing this data. So that's part of the challenge here. Yeah, well, just echoing you, that oh, a, ahead, a little please. bit, just the, the word standardization comes to mind. Just if a developer can cross a utilities boundary and see the same exact hosting capacity maps on the same exact scales, it's going to help them get up to speed much faster. So just, just kind of underscoring some of Patricia's points. Well, that perspective of understanding what stakeholders need and trying to deliver it as quickly and uniformly as possible, that's a big part of this story. Let's put that one in the parking lot. I also just want to editorialize for a second that one of the things I've observed working with the joint utilities for many years and working with the both of you is that obviously people around the country have tracked mostly the, the existence of the beginning of REV. They've sort of watched it from afar. And it did seem at the outset as an initiative that was focused on the future, maybe even the far future, kind of a transactive distribution level marketplace, kind of akin to what we've seen on the wholesale level. And it, it kind of created this question of, well, if we're not there yet, what are the practical implications of, of the REV initiative today? One of the things that really comes through in what both of you just said is, yes, there could still be all kinds of future applications for having a uniform statewide data access platform. But what you found in your work over the last year is there are real use cases and needs for stakeholders, for developers today, and we're creating a tremendous amount of value for those entities in the marketplace and for utilities, by the way, by having better, more volume, more granular, and more uniform data access. That's something, again, we'll, we'll circle back to, but just to pick up on Damien's last point about just how much work has gone into trying to get some of that uniformity, some of that cohesive approach among all of these different utilities. When these two orders came through just over a year ago, as we record this, they did call for a lot of filings, a lot of work <laughs> on your part, on Patricia's part, and a lot of change. To be kind of blunt about it. Was it an oh crap moment for the utilities when, when you saw all of that? I mean, how did you start to get organized and think all of that through? Yeah. Yeah. I think to use a different word, it was, it was definitely sobering to be asked to ramp things up even quicker than what we thought was already quicker. There's a constant tension of steady progress 
on one side of the spectrum versus build it and they will come, right? So in Rev, we tried to pick the no regrets choices. We tried to move through them very quickly and, and start getting over here, but we wanted to do things that needed to be done that way we saw it. And the commission with the with the IEDR order kind of told us like move a little bit closer to, they didn't, they didn't say build it and, and they will come, but they said, we want to see you moving a little bit faster down that, a lot faster down that roadway. So yeah, it was sobering I, is the word I would, is the S word I would use there. <laughs> Luckily, the utilities had already been working for four or five years on this stuff. And you mentioned our, our engagement and our relationship. Luckily, we've been working in partnership with ICF and a lot of other great stakeholders. In the case of ICF, people that were structuring this. So we were able to kind of ramp up what we were doing. But I mean, it was still, a, oh my gosh, we got to move fast. But at least we knew here's all the players we got to reach out to at each utility. Here's some framework and some outlines we can start with. And then here's where we go. So that felt really good. The stakeholder process and the collaboration felt pretty good. So I think I think we got started pretty well. I'd say our guiding principle was to just try to offer the the best solutions rather than comply with the order. So we certainly, what do we got to do to comply? But then how do we make this make sense? And how do we grow it? And how do we scale it? You won't be surprised to know the privacy and cybersecurity concerns were underlying that throughout the whole time. So I'll just cue it up like that. I, I suspect we'll get into that a little bit more detail, but that was, yes, sobering. Thank goodness we got this structure of the joint utilities and, and the support of a, a, a project manager like ICF. And then how do we comply and go beyond complying to, you know, leadership and doing smart things. Right, right. Really driving a good solution for the market. So Patricia, all of this kind of fell on on you in kind of a support capacity leading for ICF. Now, again, a lot of it's falling on the utilities themselves, but you're sort of trying to to put all this organization on behalf of the utilities together. And it sounds like you're handed an elephant and it's like the old the old saying, how do you eat an <laughs> elephant one bite at a time? And you're responsible for figuring out where to stick the fork. So just take us inside that thought process. You're presented with filings and, and tasks to do. What was that like? How did you wrap your head around the questions that needed to get answered and the tasks that needed to get done? Yeah, I'll say I had to read the orders a couple of times <laughs> to create some internal summaries for us to distill what were the new definitions, the new processes, what were the regulatory requirements and the filings and when were they due, what were the questions that we needed to answer to complete this new filings that were never done and at the JU level, again, coordinating all the utilities, different business groups within each of those utilities who come up with answers that they never had to answer before. So, you know, it took a lot of meetings. It took creating uh, inventories of subject matter experts, sub meetings, questionnaires and things like that. And of course, uh, putting together an overall work plan for all these uh, regulatory filings to distill the milestones that they, we needed to get us to complete the filings by the deadline. So just what, what kind of scale are we talking about here? I mean, we've kind of teased this, but how many yeah. are we talking about and how fast? Yeah, so just the data access framework DAF order alone require around six joint utility compliance filings in 60 and 90 days, although we did end up requesting some extensions for those, but that's it was pretty quick. It was all summer working really hard to get this done. And as Damien was saying, I think 
um, we learn a lot about like each utilities processes we share best practices and we felt that we deliver a, a really good product like something we all felt proud of and that it will align all this framework that is completely new many new definitions and we wanted to be consistent across and also like how does this data access framework order would interact with the IEDR, the Integrated Energy Data Resource. So we kept asking ourselves those questions and trying to interpret that and make everything consistent. So as I said, a, a lot of coordination, collaboration across the utilities, their different business units, and just a lot of organization to, to get us to the finish line. Yeah, so Damien, if I can, oh, if I can ahead, chime please. in, Matt, I would say just to the SMEs was all, were, were also key. Patricia's very aptly describing we had the right people. We did reach out to the SMEs. We tried to work through the problems, but then having the depth of ICF and some of the other utilities experience in other places allowed us to benchmark. The Public Service Commission offered us a couple of examples in the IEDR white paper and order itself. We were able to tap some ICF subject matter experts on mass markets and things along those lines. And Con Ed is very lucky to have a director of privacy that comes from the banking industry. So we were even able to look at cyber and, and, and privacy from other industries. So in addition to being ready to mobilize quick and doing that and reaching out to the usual SMEs, we, we, we went a step further, I think, to kind of do it justice. Hmm. Well, and I do want to go right back to you on two things that we put in the parking lot a little bit earlier. Let's see if we can drive those off the lot <laughs> now. Sure, sure. One of them is the stakeholder aspect of this, because one of the things you had to get organized, but as you just said a moment ago, we already had a running start on it, was that interface with stakeholders and, and beginning to understand their exact needs, their, their most specific wants and, and what they were going to use this information for. And it was all structured around the idea of uncovering value-driven use cases. And I think the, the idea that you just put forward is really the right one. I mean, this is the way I saw it, which is that you can't just hand wave at a question like this of, oh, let's let's just put some, some data out there. If you really wanna create some value for the people in your marketplace, you have to be thoughtful, you have to be engaged, you have to get the right diverse set of stakeholders involved, and you have to be really practical. You have to really drill down into what do you need to have and what's just a kind of a, a nice to have. And, and so could you maybe talk to us a little bit about how that aspect, played out as you started to approach the stakeholder aspect of responding to these orders. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct that our earlier rev efforts underscored the value of stakeholder collaborations. And since this is a bigger effort, obviously we're going to need more of those. And I, I mean, it's it's simplistic to say, but the reality is that the more minds you can bring to the table and the more diverse the backgrounds and opinions, the better the end product, right? So even something as straightforward as solar hosting capacity maps, right? If I tell you just give me some maps that show solar providers where to interconnect. Sounds simple enough and you could make some assumptions and you could get into very dangerous territory very quickly because you start assuming things about what people need and you're not talking to the people that need it. So there's a, even in something as simple as that, there's a tremendous amount of complexity and nuance to it. There's been an interconnection policy working group and an interconnection technical working group that, that take a, care of a lot of 
interconnection issues, one of which is these hosting capacity maps. And that's been going on strong for four or five years. And I don't think anybody in those would say that we're done. <laughs> but it does feel like we've made some good progress. So like I said, we've expanded on it to include now energy storage and electric vehicles. Last September, Governor Hutchell announced that New York State is on target to meet the solar goal of 6,000 megawatts by 2020. We think that hosting capacity maps are a big part of that. And we think that gave her the confidence to extend the goal and make it 10,000 megawatts by 2030. So, and that's just one example, right? The use, the collaboration around these use cases just kind of starts piling up and, and Again, the more hands, the the lighter the load, right? And, and can I just follow up on that last piece then for a second? What about the use case aspect of this? By the way, this is a term I had to look up because I don't come from like an IT background. Like, what the heck's a use case? This is one of those things that people make up to sound more sophisticated than they really are. It's just the way people are going to use something that you created. But yeah. that being said, why is that framework of of thinking about use cases so important? Why is that helpful? Yeah, we feel that the use cases provide useful and actionable data. I use the example of the hosting capacity map, but it's just, it's there. So even somebody that's just starting to kind of sharpen their teeth as a solar developer, they've got something to go off of that's got a lot of history and background on it, right? The, the other side of the coin there is just giving customers and everybody, not just customers, just giving everybody raw, raw data. And, and assuming they're going to pick their way through it. So I'm very much more on the on the side of the use cases. There's a there's a urgency to doing this. There's a prioritization to get the most bang for the buck. The utilities don't have all the answers, but we do have a good idea of what we need on our system. And then with the help of the stakeholders, it seems like the use cases kind of can package it up and get this going. And then you can just build on them ad infinitum. That's the beauty of it. So the, the solar hosting capacity maps could could be one use case, and then you could add brownfield sites and open rooftop space and farms. And now you can say, oh, I got this big parcel of land and I'm very close to this part of the utility that can take five megawatts or more. Boom, this is where I'm going to focus, you know. So mm. it's it's those intersections that that I think is where the creativity is going to come and and the, and the value is new people look at this and they start picking different slices. Should I Should I combine brownfield sites with hosting capacity for solar. Yeah, you know what? I think it'd be better for energy storage because there's some challenges with the with energy storage. Obviously, lithium and it's very material intensive. There might be some considerations, some things that make it easier on a brownfield site. I don't know. Um, so so having the structure of the use cases and building a lot of them very quickly, I think kind of gets the sweet spot of, of, of allowing the third parties to bring creativity to it while providing the structure that's going to get quick and big results. Well, okay, so Patricia, Damien just laid out, I think, a really compelling case for how valuable it is to everybody, right? The utilities, the regulators in terms of what they're seeking in, in policy, and of course, all the market participants and stakeholders. There's there's a lot of value to getting it right. Now it's time to bring you in for the downside. You, in your, in your article, you named eight states that are already right now on the cusp of some kind of major expansion of data and information sharing access. So what should those utilities in those places, the market participants and the regulators in those states be worried about in terms of risks? What are the problems of getting all of this wrong? Yeah, and I think this is something that Damien has already alluded earlier, but privacy. In the case of utility customers, they own their data and their right to share it. 
and many privacy laws at the federal and state level are trying to better define the roles and responsibilities of companies and entities to handle sharing of customer data, usage, and storage. And there's pending legislation in New York and again at the federal level that can have serious implications of how we continue to think about this very large project, right, of sharing the data. But also there's current regulations and laws that protect the customer. But beyond that, I think it can get tricky. Do you actually need consent from the customer to share beyond those purposes? If so, how are you going to gather that consent? What are the, again, responsibilities of these other parties that are going to be storing and using this data? So all of those things are very lengthy and complicated conversations that everybody needs to be on the same line and understand utility stakeholders regulator, what are the frameworks governing privacy in the state? Mm. Then second, I'll add cyber and physical security, both at the individual level, like as a customer level, but also at collective level. Sharing some grid or customer data alone might sometimes seem harmless, but if you layer that information with other types of data, it could present real risk. Like some bad actors could try to target allocation and cause an outage or other sort of scenarios that are scary to think about. So we we are trying, the joint utility, cybersecurity and privacy has been topics that came up during the filings. We're trying to improve the cybersecurity and privacy frameworks in the state because I think the, the stakes are higher when we're talking about this centralized third-party platform where the utilities now are going to be sharing and sending over all sort of data that it, it just, they were not doing that before. The parameters before were all within the utilities. And of course, the utilities currently have cybersecurity and privacy standards that are applying with these third parties. But when you make that uh, scope bigger and include more third parties, of course, you need to consider those risks as well. And then finally, overbuilding a tech solution without clear understanding of the value proposition, going back to the use cases, like why are you really trying to collect this massive amount of data? Why would you require this granularity or this frequency of refresh? Like, because it's costly, right? There's a lot of costs associated to collecting this data. Sometimes the utilities currently don't even have the capability yet. So they will have to sometimes invest in new systems, collect that data, store it in the cloud, send it over to this other party, and then just you want to make sure there's a reason, like there's a logical reason and it's clear value proposition and there's sufficient stakeholders that will actually use it. Because I think we've seen some pilots that utilities have experimented with and other data sharing mechanisms that I mentioned, they're actually not used that much. So even understanding why is that the case, what, what is the barrier for those users to not use those existing data access mechanisms could be super helpful as you're building a new solution. So Damien, I have kind of a parallel question for you. It seems to me, and I've been working with you guys for a long time, that even behind the scenes, the Con Edison and the other joint utilities of New York have not been afraid of this whole market transformation. And as you've already alluded to, I can attest, 
I, I think you've really been doing your best to get the balance of, of finding opportunity for your own role in the market and continuing to play that traditional utility, safe and reliable service kind of role and be a good partner to the other market participants. So just kind of taking a step back, what do you see as the upsides and downsides now that you've kind of made the case for getting it right and yep. Patricia has given yep. us the, the downside risk of getting it wrong, what do you see as the upsides and downsides of the new data approach that New York is taking from a utility standpoint? Yeah, I mean, we we consistently try to be leaders in the utility field in terms of reliability and especially in terms of customer service, right? And this one, this one's even easier because we see the market transformation and we understand the imperative to support the state's clean energy goals. So we want to be a part of that. We want to get it going. In fact, you heard me mention before, we feel like those hosting capacity maps already helped in a quantifiable way to get towards one of the state's uh, goals with respect to solar. So that's that's the positive, right? That's what we're trying to get at. And the utilities are no stranger to balancing the opportunities of our business. Kind of takes pride in being the oldest ticker symbol on the stock market. We started in 1823. So we've certainly balanced the pluses and minuses and navigated a lot of issues over the last three centuries, literally. And we know that the devil, and as a result, <laughs> We know that things go wrong. We know that the devils are in the details. And in the case of big data, big, big data, there's a lot of details. And then I would even go a step further in concentrating that data of all of the New York state utilities and all the New York state customers and all the infrastructure around it in one central resource amplifies that risk in a way we, we certainly haven't seen before. And we're not sure how, how, how many people have seen it before. So that, that, causes us and it makes us focus on on the challenges as, as well as the opportunities. So we take our role as data steward very, very seriously. And we recognize that our 3.3 million customers are counting on us to do the same. Patricia did a really nice job of going through the privacy, the cybersecurity and the and the potential physical security that could also happen if somebody knows where our infrastructure is. So we're spending a lot of time figuring out what data to share, as Patricia kind of also outlined, getting the right use cases, getting the biggest bang for the buck, and limiting the exposure. The second area we focused on, because it's another challenge, I wouldn't say it's a negative, but we need to get the governance process in place for the energy serving entities that are going to use this data, because even though they're responsible players and we know they want to do the right thing, every time there's a data interchange, there's the possibility of somebody compromising that, right? So we, we take those very seriously. So we, we try to look at the, at the use cases, which are the opportunities, provide our experience and leadership, as well as some benchmarking from other industries. I mentioned our privacy director from the banking industry on best practices for data governance and handling this. We have been very vocal in asking for robust discussions so that we vet these issues out and hear everybody's point of view and make sure they get the attention that they really do. Coming from a good experience in the REV stakeholder process, we're hopeful that that's going to play out even better here. Let me just hit each of you with a final question. What's one piece of advice that you would have for folks in other states who may be kind of following along, listening to this show, reading Patricia's article, if, if you're a regulator, if you're a utility person, if, if you're a stakeholder in one of those other places, if you're thinking about information sharing or you or maybe you're contemplating, you're a regulator, you're embarking on a new model around system and customer data, what advice would you give to those folks to, to pay attention to? 
Yeah, so I would say again, center the conversation on the value of the data by co-creating meaningful use cases with key stakeholders, key players, and including the utilities. Because they're the experts, they have the majority of the energy data, and they understand what's feasible, what is the range of data options, what exists today, what can be enhanced, and then get at the bottom of the why. Why is the access to that data important? And somehow try to quantify what would be the added value that accessing that new data would provide. So you make sure that whatever you're investing in to build these new processes, it's gonna create additional value. And again, balancing the risk on privacy and cybersecurity because those risks can translate to costs, unfortunately. So not an easy process, but I, I think it can be done. Mm. Yeah, I would just chime in, agree with everything that Patricia said, and think in terms of, of phases or waves. It's, it's always tempting to try and do everything on day one, right? But in addition to focusing on it, you can always make more bolder milestones as you go along in time. So the use cases are not exactly software, I guess they could be, but to use that analogy, it has a version one, and version one may be fairly modest, but it's rolled out quick, it's got a big bang for the buck, it gets users on board, and then you look at that, you talk about the user experience, you figure out where you can make additions, and you go from there. You get out version two, version three, version four. It gets the ball rolling. I feel like it gets it rolling in the fastest way possible. And then you can eventually, at some point, the universe always seems to get to everything. So <laughs> you want to make it on a, on a good path. You want to get the lowest hanging fruit first. And then if you lay out that roadway, I think that sets a lot of minds at ease that, okay, it may not be here in version one, but two is going to give you this and three, you're going to get what you want. So that, that would be the way I would kind of think about it. Well, I want to thank you both for a really interesting conversation. It takes me down memory lane and it provides some insights into what's coming down the road. And if people are interested in sort of what's going on in New York right now, you want to dig in a little bit further on this topic. First of all, you can go to the Joint Utilities of New York website, which is jointutiliesofny.org, and you can see some of the data and information that are being provided in New York just through that website before the data access platform and IEDR really get going. So you can see some of what's out there right now through that website. Of course, you can access the Con Edison website, where a lot of this system and customer data is also available. And of course, you can check out icf.com where you can find more from this video and podcast and of course patricia DaCosta's excellent article on this and we'll probably put out some more article versions of this conversation there as well so i'm matt robeson and on behalf of patricia damien thanks so much for being with us mm -hmm.